0: You're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit benttreechurch.com. Amen, amen. Hey, don't sit down just yet. Don't sit down. I've got. I want to do something kind of different today. All right. And what I want to do uh, differently today um, is I want to read this together. This passage of scripture right here is called the Shema. All right. Shema. Everyone, say Shema in the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Shema. Nice. Um, Shema is like something that uh, first century and actually ancient Jews um, would say every single day like a catechism. All right. Um, yeah, this right here, it doesn't get more Sunday school than this right here for, uh, yeah, for first for century Jews. This is like what Jesus um, would say in Sunday school when he didn't know the answer. All right. Joke, but seriously, like this is the Jesus answer, all right. In Sunday school, every kid knew it. Um, so, um, yeah, I just want to start off with saying it today. You're gonna see Jesus quoted today, so I want to try reading it together. So, can we all read this together? You want to go for it? Here we go. Ready, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Nice job. Good job. Now you guys can sit down. Good job. Let's go ahead and pray as you guys are taking your seats. Um, God, help us hear your voice today. Um, Help us love you with all our hearts and souls and minds and strength, and help us to do what you say. But God, firstly, help us listen. Help us tune out all the background noise. Um, help us to truly hear you as you speak to us today through your word. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, "Amen." Well, I wanted to start with uh, yeah. I wanted to start with us reading the Shema together because that's what we're going to see Jesus do in today's passage. All right, um, we are in Matthew 22. We're going to be in the last half of Matthew 22. The last time I got up here, I was in the first half of Matthew 22. Now we're going to be in the last half of Matthew 22. So if you guys want to go ahead and turn there, you can. Whatever, stick your bookmark, stick your finger there. Um, Pastor Paul's been going through the book of John with you all, so that you may believe. I've been going through the book of Matthew with you all, so that you would know the book of Matthew. I don't know. Um, I've been going through the book of Matthew, because I really like it. And I think you guys um, are going to hear God's voice loud and clear today. At least that's my prayer. Um, But before we dive into today's message, let me just go ahead and introduce myself to you all. Hello. Hi. Hi, friends. Uh, I am Jeff Lorimer. I am your worship and spiritual growth pastor here at Bentry. And going forward, you, unfortunately, whether you like it or not, um, you're going to see me doing a lot more worship leading going forward. Um, and the reason for that is because today we sadly say farewell to our friendly neighborhood worship coordinator, Isaac And Isaac, go ahead and stand up. Can we show him some appreciation right now? He has been awesome. We have loved this guy. He has done such a good job for us over the past year. And we are really sad to see him go, but we got to release him um, because he's got a call on his heart to do college ministry um, over at UNC. So we got to release him to go do that. Um, You guys know UNC is my alma mater. Can I get an amen for the Bears? Come on, Bears. Let's go. They need all the help they can get right now. Um, But uh, yeah, they're going to get a lot of help. They're getting Paco, and we're uh, happy for UNC, but we're really sad to see you go, buddy. Um, We're going to miss you lots. Um, But we know God's going to use you. Paco. We've seen it. You guys saw it here today. Um, speaking between songs, he's powerful. Uh, God's got his hand on your life, man. And so um, we, uh, we bless you in your departure. And church, if you get a chance to see him today after service, no tear down for you. You just go out there and you schmooze. Would you guys show him uh, some appreciation? Would you guys show him some love? Tell him how much you love him and how much you appreciate him and how much you miss him so he comes back someday, okay? All right. Um, with that said, I have one more announcement. And then we'll dive in. Um, And this announcement, you already heard it if you were here um, right at the very beginning when Chris uh, welcomed you guys, but uh, he mentioned it. It's next Sunday. Drum roll, please. We've got Thankful Sunday. It's going to be awesome. Um, How many of you guys like Thankful Sunday? Um, You're going to love it if you haven't ever been a part of it before. It's awesome. I love it. I love getting some extra time just to worship. I love getting some extra time, uh, yeah, just to, whatever, be grateful. We're going to be doing communion, and we've got something really, really special uh, coming up. We're going to be debuting some of our very own Bent Tree worship songs, some original songs we've written together. So it's going to be really exciting. Yeah, Lauren and I have written a song together, and I've written one with Pastor Hunter, too. And we're really excited to play them for you and share with you what uh, we feel like God's put on our heart as a worship team uh, this coming weekend. So it's going to be special um, there's one other surprise I can't tell you about. Um, it involves a guest worship leader um, that, yeah, you just don't want to miss, okay? I can't give you any more details, but it's going to be cool. So see you to, see you next week? Yes. All right. Awesome. Well, who's ready to dive into our text for the day? You guys ready to get your, uh, get your Bible on? Who's got your Bibles today? Let's hold them up. Phones count. There you go, Debbie, right? Phones count. All right. If you've got the UVersion Bible app, go ahead. I'm um, open that up. Um, we start up every Sunday here at Bent Tree, opening up our Bibles because, friends, this right here, this right here is where we find truth. This is where we take our stand, as Captain America took a stand against Thanos. This is where we take our stand, though, and we say, no, world, we won't be moved. You move. This is where we stand. This is where we stay. Christ alone and his word sustains us. In it, we will remain. Amen, friends? All right. Well, let's read our text for the day. We're going to be in Matthew 22, starting in verses 34 through 40. You guys want to stand again as we uh, honor God's word? Can we do that again? Let's do that. Yeah, I got someone standing in the back. Let's go. Let's stand one more time as we honor God's word. I love that about our church. I love that we love God's word here. Um, The greatest commandment. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. He asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. See, he quotes the Shema there. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. This is the word of God. You guys can take your seats. Ah, I love how we love the word of God here at this church. Um, it's really special. Well, if you're like me, you've heard this passage a lot. You've um, heard Jesus' summary, uh, more or less, For the whole Old Testament, you see all the Law and Prophets. He's talking about the whole Old Testament, all 600-plus commands written in it. And over the centuries, preachers, they have flocked to this passage. And I get it, all right? They want to summarize things for their congregations. They want to keep things simple. And, yeah, this is, simply put, this is God's two big rules right here, summarized in this passage. Love God, love people. Love God. That's rule number one, love people, that's rule number two. Honestly, there isn't much for me to exegete or explain today. Like, the meaning of the text, as you read those six verses, the meaning is clear, right? So when the meaning of the text is plain, we should avoid seeking a new meaning in vain, right? We don't need to go, like, try to uncover some hidden meaning right there. We believe in the clarity of Scripture here at Bentry. And the meaning is clear, so we just need to stop and hear. And I'm going to repeat that because this is just a good biblical principle for you guys. As you guys are reading through the Bible on your own or you're reading in a small group, when the meaning is clear, you just need to hear. You just need to obey what it has to say, right? Um, And so we just need to hear these two commandments today, right? We don't need a lot of fluff and other stuff. You just need to do these two things well. Number one, love God. Number two, love people. And in fact, because everything else hangs on these two commandments Uh, You guys could literally get up right now and leave, like, and you will have heard exactly what God requires of you today. Seriously, like, everything I'm going to talk about after this moment um, is secondary to these two things, so I'm giving you permission right now, all right? Here's your hall pass. Um, You can leave right now if you want to. Go ahead. (laughs) You don't want to leave, right? You passed the first test. Well done. All right, Um, but here's why you don't want to leave. Because you know, just as well as I know, that there's a lot more to these two commandments than just hearing them, than just having the sounds register in your brain um, from these words. There's something else you know that you need to hear from God today. So, allow me to do just a little bit more exegesis. I want to give you the context of these two commands. And finally, um, I want to look at, well, after we look at these verses in context, I want to get down to brass tacks. As Pastor Hunter says, I want to get to where the mwubba meets the wode. You ever heard that before? I haven't either. I like it, though. We're to meets to Wode, and we're going to actually evaluate how well are we actually loving God and loving others, okay? And I'm really serious here. I think that we will have wasted our time here today, and you will have wasted your time, if we don't seriously wrestle with the question of how well we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, of how well we love the people around us, the people that Jesus died to save, And seriously, I think we owe it to the people around us to ask ourselves that question. Like, how well are we loving our neighbors? Do we love our neighbors even when it's not such a beautiful day in the neighborhood? Do you love your neighbors? Do we love others when they're not being so neighborly? That's what we're going to wrestle with today. So let's start in verse 34. The greatest commandment, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. So, a little bit of context for you guys. This passage here, the six verses that I read for you earlier, uh, this is Jesus' talk on the greatest commandment, or greatest commandments, if you will. Um, It occurs during his uh, week-long cross-examination by the religious leaders. Um, And this happens the week before he's crucified. He's cross-examined before he's crucified. You see what I did there? You can remember this, okay? Um, But just know that on the week before he's crucified, so... Just giving you a big picture of Jesus' life. You remember, he rides into town on a donkey. He makes it clear to everyone, yeah, I'm coming as the Messiah. Um, He told everyone, my time has now come. Even though he spent the first, whatever, three years of his ministry saying, my time has not come yet, my time has not come yet. He comes to Jerusalem on a donkey and he says, the time has come. And that whole week before he's crucified, he goes to the temple every single day. And what's he doing? He's having these verbal sparring matches with, like, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. um, And they're asking him all these questions. They're examining him. And I think it's really interesting that they would examine him so closely. Fun little connection here. Um, You guys know that one of the jobs that priests had in the Old Testament... Um, If you think about the role of a priest in the Old Testament, what was their job? They would be at the temple, and they would examine any of the animals, any of the sacrifices that were to come forward. They were examining, making sure it was whatever, perfect, without blemish, right? Because some people would be like, well, let's sacrifice whatever, the little runt of the litter. So what did they do? They would examine the sacrifices. Now, think about the New Testament. This week before he's crucified, what are all the religious leaders doing as Jesus comes to the temple? They're examining him, right? They're examining the Son of God— making sure that he really is the Lamb of God that is perfect, spotless, without blemish or imperfection. Kind of a cool connection, yeah? Anyway, here in Matthew 22, we're about to get to the climax. Here, starting in verse 34, um, this is where Jesus is going to put an end to all the questions. But before this last question, and you guys can go and read this on your own or in your D3 group, um, in the previous verses, he has just silenced the Sadducees. And it's really cool how he did it. He, uh, He looked at a verb tense. In the Old Testament, you see, the Sadducees, they believed, well, they, did, they didn't believe in a resurrection, okay? The Sadducees didn't believe that you were raised to life after you died, and that's why they were sad, you see, I love that joke. Anyway, always lands. All right, um, so they're sad because they don't believe in a resurrection. So what does Jesus do? He goes back, um, and I'm not going to read this for you guys. You guys can read it on your own. But he looks at a verb tense, and he says, no, God is the God, not was the God, is the God of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all right? He looks at literally one single letter, the verb ending, all right? Um, And he proves that their entire belief system is wrong. And I just think this is amazing because, like, look how well Jesus knows his Bible. It's almost like he wrote the thing after all. But after he silences the Sadducees, we see the Pharisees, they're winding up, they're getting ready to ask him one last question, they're gearing up uh, to take one last stab at like making him lose face in front of the crowd. So, what do they do? When all else fails, they send the lawyers after him. Verse 35, one of them, an expert in the law, so one of the Pharisees, an expert in the law, or a lawyer, tested Jesus with this question. Now, before you see the question that he tested Jesus with, I want you to think about what you know about lawyers. All right? So maybe you've been in court before, um, or maybe you've watched some courtroom drama on TV, but this is what you see with every single lawyer. And you guys know this. You know with every question that a lawyer asks, what are they looking for? They, they have an ulterior motive, right? They're looking to nail you, and literally, they're looking to nail Jesus, right? They're looking to nail him with one of the, questions that, uh, one of the answers that he gives to one of their questions. So... Before we look at this question, I just need you guys to be thinking, all right, where's the lawyer going with this? How is he looking to trap Jesus with this question? That's what you need to be thinking of, all right? Are you ready to see the question he used to trap Jesus? Got one person, so we're going on. All right, teacher, this is what the lawyer asks, teacher, talking to Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? All right, where's the lawyer going with this? Because, I mean, this is an easy one. Every single Jew in ancient Israel knew the answer to this question. It's what they recited every day, like the Pledge of Allegiance. Every little Jewish boy and girl knew the greatest commandment. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's what you guys read at the very beginning of service. So, where's the lawyer going with this? I don't know. I read a lot of commentaries on it, and there's a few hypotheses. I'll share them with you right here. Maybe the lawyer is thinking, all right, if Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, maybe the lawyer will ask a follow-up question like, all right, well, if you're supposed to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, why don't you love God's Sabbath? Because you remember Jesus was pretty controversial about the Sabbath, right? Um, Or maybe he's going to ask, like, why don't you love God's leadership that he put in place? Or Maybe he's saying, all right, you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, Jesus, why don't you love the temple and honor it? It's God's house. Why don't you love that with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? So he's winding up to take Jesus, I don't know, take him out with a a follow-up question. But you're going to see that Jesus throws the lawyer off of his rhythm with, um, well... He's going to give a reply that's expected, but also unexpected. He's going to quote the Shema, which is the traditional, right, uh, Jewish answer, standard answer. But then he's also going to throw in a little curveball, and he's going to pair something else up with it that's really going to make the lawyer do a double take. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And right here in this moment, I want you guys to go there with me. Right here in this moment, this is the first and greatest commandment. The lawyer, he's clear in his throat. He's ready to launch his well-prepared follow-up question like, all right, Jesus, that's nothing new to which Jesus would say, I'm not through. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The first commandment is to love God with everything. And the second commandment is like it. You got to love people too. And so... For the first time in recorded history, um, Jesus gives us this really unique pairing, all right, where you've got the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. It's the traditional greatest commandment right next to this kind of obscure commandment from Leviticus 19 about loving your neighbor. Um, This pairing by Jesus, it's brand new. It's unexpected, all right? It's like the guy that discovered peanut butter and jelly, right? Who would have thunk, right? Anyway, but Jesus discovers... Well, Jesus discovers. He knows everything. Um, Jesus is like, hey, this is what it's at. And and this is a curveball that the Pharisees aren't expecting. When Jesus says the second commandment is like the first, he's saying this second commandment is actually equal to the first commandment. It's second only in sequence. It's not second in greatness. The second is like it. It's equal to it. This command... To love your neighbor as yourself is as big a deal to God as it is loving God. If that makes sense to you. The religious leaders—they never heard this before. The leader, uh, the lawyer's got to be stumped. He's like, "Okay, what do I do with that?" And here's where Jesus goes one step further. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Like, this is where Jesus says that following these two commands mean everything to God. In fact. Everything else is based on it. It hangs on these two commands. All the Law and Prophets, that's the whole Bible, all right? That's all 39 books of the Old Testament. They hang on these two commands, love God and love people. And Jesus makes it real clear that everything God has spoken, when you boil it down, it comes down to loving God and loving people. Nothing's bigger than this. Jesus points, uh, says the entire Bible points to it, says these two things are the things you've got to do. You've got to love God. You've got to love people. All scripture, all revelation, all of this right here, two things, love God and love people. And I'm going to tell you right now, guys, I think that and is a really big deal. Um, let me tell you why. It has nothing to do with this paper. Don't worry about it. Um, here's the deal. What does it look like to just love God? Think about this for a second. What does it look like to just love God? Like, imagine you don't have this right here. If you just love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, um, and you didn't love your neighbors, what would you look like? You'd look pretty holy, don't you think? In fact, you'd probably start looking kind of holier than thou. Here's the thing. If you only loved God, I think you'd be missing something in faith, in your faith. In your pursuit of holiness, there'd be a big gaping hole. There'd be a big holy, and you're holy. You understand what I'm saying? Let me break it down. If you only followed God's command to love him without loving people, you could be all good with God and be all kinds of nasty to people. And you see that this would be a big problem to God? I hope you see how this be a big problem because, like, you could have all these affections for God. You could give him all your time and all your money and all your energy. And at the same time, you could give a crap about people, the people he died to save. And it wouldn't affect your status with God. And that's just, there's something incongruent there. Something doesn't match up. But unfortunately, and honestly, this is where some people land in their faith and you probably know some of these people, people that land in this kind of like one-way, status-driven, vertical relationship with God. Heck, I know I've landed there before in my own like faith journey. I've been committed to, yeah, like, whatever, vertical morality, and I'd be asking questions like, all right, how do I go deeper with God? Or how do I get like to a higher level of holiness, right? Like, God, you're up here, and I'm down here, so how do I climb the ladder, God, to get to you? What's the end result, friends, is what I want to ask you. What's the end result of having like a vertical morality? When your whole moral system and the way you judge yourself and judge others is based on this kind of vertical morality, I'm telling you, um, it ends up with you comparing yourself to others relentlessly, criticizing them, because what's the deal? Like, if you can get a leg up on them, if you can knock them down a rung on the ladder to God, you've just put yourself one rung higher, Right? And if you keep on this vertical morality, friends, where do you end? You end up among the frozen chosen, right? At the top of God's ivory tower, all right, with all the other holier-than-thou crowds, and it's the same crowd that crucified Jesus. Seriously, that's the end result of your vertical morality. And um, I guess to combat this, or to help you think about this, I want to draw from Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. So keep your hand in Matthew 22 um, and turn to Matthew 5 really quickly. Um, we're going to look at verse 23. This is what Jesus has to say about like having a vertical morality, about loving God and not loving your neighbor. So Matthew 5, verse 23, um, after your Beatitudes, um, you get to the section where Jesus starts talking about anger And in the middle of this section, he says, All right, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, that is, if you're worshiping God, and you remember, oh yeah, that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, Leave your gift at the altar if you're not right with other people. Because God doesn't want your worship if someone else has got something against you. Think about what Jesus is really saying, not just to whatever, 21st century Americans. Think about what he's actually saying to first century Jews. He's talking to a people that had to travel days on foot just to go and worship at the temple, right? Like they'd have to get their animals that they're going to sacrifice, right? They have to get their family, and they'd have to travel on foot for days just to get to the temple. And then Jesus is saying, all right, if you've done this whole rigmarole and you're on the steps of the temple and you're ready to worship, right, you're in line there, and so you think to yourself, oh, yeah, that guy, I took something from him, and, oh, man, he might have something against me. If you're there at the temple and you realize someone's got something against you, get out of line and go home. He's saying, like, you need to turn around And go be reconciled to them. Because God doesn't want your love if you don't love others well. Your vertical morality does nothing to get you closer to God if you distance yourself from others. If you disparage and despise them. God's not pleased with you if this is all you're about. He's actually very disappointed with you. If you say you love him, but you don't love the people he died to save. Micah 6 with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Mike is asking, how should we worship? Shall I come to him? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with, 10, 000, or with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? How should we worship him? Should I offer my firstborn son for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? No. He has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good. What is good worship? Well, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God wants you to love people well, just as you love Him. Because that's what it means to act justly. All right, It means you don't take advantage of the people around you. You don't take the people you love for granted. All right, When He says to love mercy, He says, like... The worship God wants is that you would forgive others and overlook their offenses the way God overlooks your offenses and forgives you. Loving mercy rejoices in being able to serve others the way that Jesus rejoiced in being able to serve us. Walking humbly with God means living humbly with others. It means loving people like God loves people. So, guys, we've got to understand this one thing about God, that your pursuit of holiness, if it's all vertically oriented, it does you no good if it doesn't cause you to love people like God loves people. God doesn't want your sacrifices. He doesn't want your worship. Uh, Rivers of olive oil won't appease him. The blood of a thousand rams won't get you into good graces if you're not graceful with others. It says it right there in Malachi. You could even sacrifice your own kids and here's the thing, as I see people, they do sacrifice their relationships with their kids. They sacrifice their relationships with their loved ones because they think that getting closer to God means that you can shun the people that God's put in your life. I've been there before, friends, and here's the deal. God doesn't want your love if you don't love others. Um, we say it here all the time, go deep to grow deep, Right? There's a caveat to this. If you're falling deeper and deeper in love with God, makes you despise other more and more and more, like you're actually doing it wrong. You're falling out of favor with God. Again, if going deep to grow deep doesn't cause you to go reach your arms wider to people, you're doing it wrong. Because we love God and we love people. We go deep to go wide. Deep and wide. Have you taught my daughter this song yet, Shay? Deep and wide, deep and wide. It's foundational, friends. This is what our love has got to look like as Christians, all right? We love God and we love people. We love God and we love people. Um, Imagine for a second that I was someone important. And I know that's really hard because I know I'm not, all right? Um, Imagine that I was like the president or something. Imagine you wanted to get closer to me, like you wanted to elevate your status. Here's one thing you wouldn't do you wouldn't be a jerk to my kids right? Like, if you really wanted to show me some love, you'd show my kids some love. You'd show my wife some love. You'd show them respect. The people I love and care about, you would love and care about. Because here's the deal. You can't say you love me and hate my kids at the same time. You can't say you love me and try to elevate your status with me while disparaging my wife. And that's exactly how it works with God. You can't say you love him and be a jerk to people. Um, A really good friend of mine Um, He actually just came to the last service. It's really awesome. He's a guy who discipled me all throughout college. Um, He asked me a question one time. He said, uh, Jeff, do you want to know what God's heartbeat sounds like? And that's like, that's fascinating. I was like, yeah, of course. Like, God has a heartbeat? What does it sound like? And he's like, here, come here. So I lean in close, like way too close for any two dudes to be at a coffee shop. And he whispers, he whispers in my ear. I kid you not. I'll always remember this. He whispers in my ear. He goes, That's what God's heartbeat sounds like. You guys got to get this, God loves people and we should too. Like, if we don't love people, we are no different than the people that killed Jesus. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but I have this thing called selective hearing. At least my wife tells me I do all the time, but I don't know. I, I, don't, I, don't, I wasn't listening. Anyway, you've heard this term before selective hearing. It's like um, when my wife asks me, I don't know, to like, whatever, put the clothes from the washer into the dryer. And I don't do this intentionally, but I just kind of like subconsciously ignore her, right? Um, (laughs) I swear it's not intentional. (laughs) You don't believe me. Um, But here's the thing, as I think we all have selective hearing to some degree, right? I think all of us are really good at tuning out the things that are hard for us to do, right? Um, It's really easy for us to ignore the commands of God that we don't like, all right? Um, Here's the thing. On the other side of vertical morality, um, I think some people fall to the other side of the spectrum. They fall uh, on the side of what I call horizontal morality. Like, they don't want to hear the commands of God, but they hear the command to love people, and it's really easy for them to love people, but they don't want to hear God's commands to tithe. They don't want to hear God's commands to be a part of a small group of believers. They definitely don't want to hear God's commands when it comes to living a life of purity. All right? They say things like, oh, you know what? I'm good with God because I'm good with everyone. Right? Seriously, I'm nice to everyone I meet and I'm generous, so like, no offense, but why should I follow God? Right? Like, All due respect, what has God done for others lately? Honestly, I feel like I've done more for others than God has. Do you guys see the flaw in horizontal morality? Do you guys see what it is? Here's the deal. This line of thinking that, oh, I'm good, with all, I'm, I'm good with everyone, right? I don't need to get good with God. This line of thinking ignores the fact that God is the one that gave you life. Got it? This kind of thinking ignores the fact that God gives you every good thing you experience on this earth. In spite of everything you've done, in spite of your sinful rebellion against him. Horizontal morality says you don't need God at all because you're all good with everyone else. But here's the thing that I know. Here's the thing that you know. No one is all good to all people all the time. Isn't it true that the people we're supposed to love the most in our horizontal morality, the people that are closest to us, isn't it true that those are the people we're usually worst with? Like... Everyone can be a jerk at times, and no one on earth has gone through life without hurting the people that are horizontal to them, without somehow scarring one or two, all right? You might be good to some, but you can never be good to all. No matter how nice you are, no matter how hard you commit to horizontal morality, no matter how hard you're committed to being a safe place for others, to not judging others, to loving everybody, And never giving any sort of condemnation. Here's the thing. That will never make up for your sin, your own transgressions against a holy God. And it won't make up for your sins against others. Your commitment, or I should say a commitment to horizontal morality, will just make you as self-righteous as having a vertical morality. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's easy to get caught up in horizontal morality just as it is to get caught up in vertical morality. It's easy to miss the big picture that we love God and listening to him and his commands are actually what free us to love others well. Like, loving God and listening to him is what gives us the ability and the truth to love others well. We love God and we love people. We need both of these commands. To love God, for truth, to love others and show them the grace that he shows us. But if we only have the vertical command to love God, we'll end up judgmental and legalistic, holier than thou, looking down on all the other peons that disappoint God, right? But if we only have a horizontal morality, where does that end up? That ends up with us being too licentious. That means giving license to everyone's sin. Being too licentious, too tolerant to be any good at all. We need both the horizontal And the vertical, we need both grace and truth. We need a love for God that puts him first and listens to him, and we need a love for others the way he loves them. I think it's kind of interesting that it kind of lands in a cross. Don't you? This horizontal and vertical morality, that's where we really see it it land for the day. Um, And that's that's where we see Jesus' cross examination end he tells another little parable, you can go look at that on your own, and that's where the cross-examination ends, and then it turns into, um, well, it turns into a speech that talks about, Jesus talking about the end of the world, which is really fascinating if you want to get into Matthew 24 and 25, and then he gets crucified. Um, and friends, that's the text for the day. That's what I've got. Seriously, that's all there is, I think, um, to really exegete right now. Um, the meaning is clear. Love God and love others. The meaning is clear, so what do we need to do? We just need to stop, and we need to hear. We need to obey. Um, You remember the passage I read for you earlier? Right? The passage, the hear, O Israel, the Shema. Um, Do you know why it's called the Shema? Um, Here's why it's called the Shema. It's called the Shema because that's actually what the first word is. That's Shema means hear in Hebrew. All right? Um, Shema is the Hebrew word for hear. Um, So... When, like, the ancient, whatever, Israelites would read it, they'd say, Shema, O Israel. And then, whatever, I have no idea how to say the Lord your God. Anyway, but here's the thing, is in Hebrew, that word here means a lot more than just, like, having sounds register in your brain. The word Shema means more than that. The word Shema means to obey, all right? Like, for example, if your mom says, hey, you heard me the first time, go clean your room. You heard me. You know what the expectation is. Not just that sounds registered in your brain, but that you got your room clean, little guy. You know what I mean? Here's the thing, is hear is the same as obey in Hebrew. It is in English. And I think we miss this. We need to recognize that when God calls us to hear his commands, he's calling us at the same time to respond to those commands. And if I'm honest, you and I, we've all heard these commands to love God and love people plenty of times, but you and I both know we don't always obey them. Um, We've heard God's commands to love him with everything, and yet we don't surrender all of our time, energy, and resources. How many times does our Bible go unread in a day? Um, You've heard God's commands to love everyone, but man, man. People just suck sometimes, right? Um, even the people you love the most, your nearest and dearest, those are the ones that sometimes they're hardest to love. So how do we actually obey these two commands? How do we take steps in actually growing in our love for God and our love for people? Well, I think it starts right where Jesus started. It starts with this one word, Shema, here. It starts with listening to him. You know, I talked to you earlier about selective hearing, you guys remember, but now I want to double down on this thing, um, on this idea of us all having selective hearing. I think we all naturally and I think the Bible backs me up on this we all have selective hearing as humans. We naturally ignore God's commands because they go against our very nature as sinful humans. Like we naturally ignore the pleas of our friends and family and coworkers, because uh, answering their needs means more work for us. Here's what Jesus has to say about our selective hearing. For this people's heart has become calloused; they hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, they might hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn. And I would heal them. Jesus says it. Um, we all have selective hearing. So, like, guys, are you, are you seeing this? Are you looking with your eyes, as my mom would say? Are you hearing with your ears? Has this landed in your hearts yet? We've got to listen to God. And I don't mean that we just need to, like, whatever, obey and do what he says, because that's what love really is to God. You know what? how God defines love. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. But here's what I really mean. I mean, if you really love someone, you'll listen to them. If you really love God, you'll listen to him. So friends... Some questions, when was the last time you opened your Bible? And instead of reading it, when was the last time you opened it and listened for God and let your Bible read you and read your heart? When was the last time you listened? I mean, really listened when you were praying rather than just pouring out all of your prayers to God. When was the last time you listened for God's prayer for you? What does he desire for you to do? I'm telling you, we've got to work against our selective hearing as humans. Um, But more importantly, we need to let the Spirit of God do the work of opening our ears and making our heart to beat again to really understand and grasp the words of God. Um, And I cannot stress this enough. Um, You can work all day long at horizontal and vertical morality, friends, um, but here's the thing is you're going to get nowhere unless the Spirit of God actually empowers you to hear what God has to say to you. So when was the last time you prayed that the Spirit would awaken your heart just as He did on the day of your salvation to actually hear the voice of God calling you to faith and repentance? Um, and if you've never had the Spirit of God like come and give life to your soul, you, like, you don't really understand what I'm talking about, we are going to have a chance to pray at the end of service that God would come and He would make your dead heart to live, that He would make your mute ears to hear, um, your deaf ears to hear. Here's the thing. Um, It's easy, so easy, to fall into vertical or horizontal morality if you just don't stop, if you don't just slow down and listen. I'm telling you, when you open your Bible and you read it, You'll hear the voice of God speaking to you. You'll hear his truth. And here's the thing, is you'll hear, like, um, you'll hear for you the specific works and the people that he has on you to, to reach. And I don't know, like, if you're like me and my wife, sometimes we, spend, we spin our wheels and we spend all of our time and energy thinking about how we please all these different people instead of just slowing down and listening to God's specific word and work for us that day. People, people, if you slow down, just like you slow down and listen to your heartbeat, if you slow down and listen for God's heartbeat, I'm telling you, he will open up this word to you and you will hear him speak. So if you want to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, if you want to love others as he loves others, here's step one. It's my bottom line. It's crystal clear today. Love listens. This is what love does first. Before anything else, it shema's. It hears and it listens. So this is your to-do today. In fact, I think this should be at the top of your to-do list every single day. Because here's, happen- here's what happens if you don't listen. Okay, guys? If you don't listen, what are you going to do in your relationship to God? You're just going to speak up, trying to justify yourself, all right, with A 1,000 rams or 10,000 rivers of oil. You'll sit here and you'll try to justify yourself rather than hearing God say, my son's righteousness is good enough for you. It covers you. If you don't listen to God first, you're going to spin your wheels trying to please everyone rather than hearing from God the good works and the people he has for you to specifically minister to. If you don't listen to God, you're going to listen to the world and you're going to miss out completely on what God has to say to you. You're going to miss out completely on how God defines what true success is. Friends, love does this. It listens. Love stops chasing after the things of this world, wealth and success, and love chases after God's voice more than anything else. Love listens. Love listens to your kids and your spouse when they're tugging on your shirt, desperate to spend time on y- with you. Love listens to God when he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Love listens when God says, hey, my grace is enough for you. You don't need that thing anymore. Love listens. Love listens to the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit says, get off your device already. Get yourself to church where you'll be encouraged and where you can actually encourage someone. Love listens. Hear, O church, the Lord is our God. The Lord is our one and only, so love him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and strength. And love everyone, even the people that are hardest to love. Love them the way Jesus loved them, by living as a sacrifice and laying down his life for them. Love listens. So, to wrap up today... um, I want to get unapologetically practical with you. Like I said, it would be a waste of your time if you just came here and heard me say, oh, I need to listen more. I think what we really need to do today is we need to step like step outside of your me suit. I think that's what Ralph says. Step outside of your me suit and ask, how well is Jeff, in my case, unless your name is Jeff, um, how well is Jeff loving others? How well is Jeff loving God? And to that end... Um, I've given you a handout because I was a teacher for 12 years and I can't help it, okay? I can't help myself. If you guys will look under your seats, there should be um, a little piece of paper. So go ahead, pull it out right now. We're going to look at this together. Go ahead, look under your seats, pull it out. Those of you guys in the back row. Back row, Baptist, what's up? Would you guys, it should be in front of you guys, okay? It'll be in that little chair back in front of you. You guys got it? Cool. This is what I call my uh, discipleship diagnostic. Um, and I think this is what, how my wife and I, we evaluate how well we're loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is a symbol for soul, all right? Um, we came up with this, I want to say, about three years ago. Anyone who I've discipled before, we call this our allies or like our allies for discipleship. Do you see how all of them end in Ali? Ali. Um, and what we'll do is we'll just get together with someone, we'll read the Bible, and we'll talk, well, how are you doing? Um, like, I, I disciple Paco. I say, Paco, how are you doing evangelically? Are you living on mission? I say, Paco, how are you doing in your mind? How are you doing mentally? How about socially and relationally? How are you doing there? All right? Um, and I think if you really want to take a step back and evaluate how am I doing when it comes to loving God and loving others, I want to invite you to use this tool. All right. Um, I want to go through it with you right now, asking you guys some questions, but um, that doesn't get you out of your homework. Your homework is go do this with your D3 group, or do this with um, whatever your significant other over lunch, or just do it by yourself All right, and ask yourself. Um, yeah, we'll start with evangelically. That means like intentionally and living on mission. Are you actually investing in, inviting others? Are you serving others with the purpose of giving them um, something greater than any sort of gift on this earth, but a gift of eternal life? Are you living on mission? Emotionally, when it comes to your heart, how is your heart? Are you angry, anxious, or depressed? Um, Is your tongue under control? Why do I have that there? Because out of the mouth spills that which fills the heart, according to Jesus. So examine yourself. How am I loving God with my heart when it comes to my anger and my heart, my anxiety, my depression? Um, When it comes to your mind... Loving God with all your mind, um, and you think mentally, um, is my mind filled with God's word, or is my mind filled with whatever I'm scrolling on my device? Is my mind filled with Netflix and Disney Plus, um, or is your mind filled with God's word? And lastly, is that knowledge actually building you up, or is it puffing you up? Uh, Do you have noble thoughts, or are your thoughts proud of yourself? Um, I also put relationally in here, this is the idea of, um, well, there's a saying in Spanish, Um, it's like you tell me who you're walking with you tell me who you're rolling with and i'll tell you who you are and that's the truth like your friends and your small group are going to be impacting and influencing your mind more than anything else so um are you in a small group are you letting them speak uh, to your mind and be a part of forming your thoughts do you have a paul barnabas and timothy that's church speak for do you have like a mentor that reads the Bible with you? Do you have someone walking alongside of you, a Barnabas? And do you have a Timothy? Do you have like someone you're discipling? That's the D3 initiative right there in a nutshell. Loving God with all your soul. Um, these two areas are really sensitive ones. But familiarly, yes, I made that word up. I can do whatever I want. Um, familially, do you love your fa- Like when it comes to your soul, there's nothing that impacts your soul more than like your family connections. You know, your family of origin. Are you loving your family like Jesus? Dads, mom, are you loving your kids like Jesus loves your kids? Um, And when it comes to your family, are you forgiving them? Are you working on healing the scars or are you leaving scars? Um, And then one other thing that's going to impact your soul more than anything else, um, romantically. What are you doing um, when it comes to honoring God with your body um, and sexually um, and your relationships? Um, God makes it really clear there's only two um, life-enhancing options when it comes to human sexuality. One of them is heterosexual, monogamous marriage, and the other one is celibacy. Those are the only two options. And how are you doing in practicing those? Are you living out God's design sexually? If you're not, it's going to impact your soul and loving God with all your soul. And lastly, loving God with all your strength. Um, I think about, obviously, your body has to do with this. Like, are you addicted to something? If you've got some sort of substance that you're addicted to, it's impacting um, your physical body, which is a temple. And lastly, are you honoring God with your body? And then this very last measure out of all the eights, financially, um, uh, this is what you do with your strength, right? All of your labor, all of your efforts go towards making money. And so how are you with your money? Are you generous? Are you more than tithing? Or maybe some of you, you might be working way too hard. Um, I think about that song, Waymaker, that lands with me every single time we see it. Even when I can't see it, you're working. That means you don't have to be working. God commands you to rest at times. And some of you, you work too hard because you're ruled by money. So those are the Elise. This is how we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And friends, um, there's nothing else I want more for you than to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's nothing else God wants more for you than to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength that you might love others as he loved others. I mean, this is what it means to be a base 10 liver or whatever. (laughs) Live a base 10 life. This is what it means to be a disciple. And our motivation, as I pray here, guys, our motivation for all this isn't vertical or horizontal morality. Our motivation for this is what we see in the cross. We see a God who loved us so much that he would die for us, And so shouldn't we love him back? We see a God that loves others so much that he would die for them on a cross. So shouldn't we love others that much too? We love because God first loved us. Let's pray. God, we take this second to recognize you love us so, so much. Oh, how you love us. You love us so, God. (laughs) And you're jealous for our love and affections. Your love is a hurricane, and we are a, we are a tree, God. Um, so we just take this moment right now to bend, to bend like a tree in a hurricane, God, overwhelmed by your love for us. You love us so much. We just want to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, God. So help us to listen for you. That's where love starts. Love listens. And so help us to listen for how it is. Which one of those areas out of eight can we work on? Which one of those areas out of eight are you calling us to a deeper dependency, God? Maybe you're calling us to love you more relationally, to get in a small group of believers and to love your family and your church, to disciple one another, God, maybe you're calling us to love you with our money, and that's a hard one, God, to love you with the strength and the fruit of our labors, God, but we want to be obedient. And so, God, I just pray for my church right now that we would listen Hear, O oh church, what the Lord's will is for you. And so God, I just pray that we would um, we would know you, our one and only. And we would know the specific people that you're calling us to love and minister to. And we would feel that deep in our souls right now. And God, for anyone who's, uh, as I go through all those alis, maybe they're kind of landing sideways because... They think spiritually they don't have that connection. Maybe for the first time in a long time, they've heard that you died for them so they don't have to be committed to vertical morality towards getting better so they can get right with you. Maybe for the first time they've heard that their horizontal morality will never get them. No matter how right they get with others, they'll never get right with you, God. It's only by the work that you did on that cross, dying for our sins, paying for them, And forgiving us, God, and then being raised to life, it's only there that we find our life. It's only there that we find that our hearts can beat again, that our ears can hear you, God. So I pray right now that you would make dead hearts come alive spiritually. And for anyone who's maybe feeling like they need a heart to come alive right now, I pray for them. And I say, God, we're sorry that we've tried to do it on our own we thank you that you've forgiven us, that you loved us enough to die for us, and that you invite us into this new life. So speak to us loud and clear today, God. We are listening. And we sing now for how much you loved us. And this is our impetus for our motivation for loving others and loving you. God, thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentree Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentreeChurch.com.